If y'all ever kind of feel like you might have the beginning stages of coming down with a cold, any, anybody ever been there before? Uh, anytime I'm like that, I run to the grocery store immediately, and I try and get vitamin C and zinc, and I load up with as much juice as possible, especially vitamin C juice. Anybody else do this? Every time. Anytime I think I might be thinking about my body, might be thinking about getting a cold, I do this. Well, the last time I went, I went to the grocery store and I was looking, I saw Minute Maid, I saw Fruit Punch and some other stuff, and I grabbed it and I was walking off and then I started looking at the ingredients and it said made from 10% real juice. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm looking at it, I'm like, this isn't juice. This isn't what I'm here for. And so I put it back on the shelf and I went and then I saw Tropicana it said 100% or all the vitamin C you need. And then it said these words, made from 100% juice. Now, when I go to the store for juice, you know what I want to buy? I want to buy juice. I don't want to buy artificial flavored water that says, I want the real thing. I want something pure. I want something right. And for me, I think that the purity that comes between that which we drink and that which we consume also needs to be lived out in our body. And today what we're going to be talking about is our role and responsibility to be pure in ministry. And we're going to see an example of it from the life of Paul and the way that he interacted with the church at Thessalonica. Now, as you're turning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I want to give you a little background on where this church came from. It was founded in about 30 days. So from the time that Paul got to Thessalonica until the point where he left the town was in summation about 30 days. He came in on the run and he left town on the run because he had become this proselyte. He had become this apostle. He had become this traveling evangelist, this missionary who was spreading the name of Jesus. And as people received the name of Jesus... He was changing the narrative of the town. People were identifying with Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and they were using this term particularly in Thessalonica that caught the eye or the ear of the Roman government, and it was the term King Jesus. And so as they were proclaiming the King of Kings Jesus, the Roman authority did not like it, and so they heard about this new church, this new religion, and they were driving the religious leaders out of town. And so Paul leaves. He travels around Macedonia. He ends up in Corinth. And while in Corinth, he hears word of what was happening in Thessalonica. And he wrote 1 Thessalonians, the first letter, the first letter in the New Testament. The first book written in the New Testament is that which we're in now. Chapter 2 starts off and it says this, For you yourselves know, brother, that our coming to you was not in vain. It's not in vain because he's writing a church. He's writing the established group who held to the beliefs that he was proclaiming. You know it's not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we have boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. I want you to understand this. You cannot live your life trying to please man and at the same time please God. 
You have to pick who is worthy of your pleasure. Who do you want to bring pleasure to? Who is worthy of your worship? Who is worthy of your approval? God or man, you cannot please both. Verse 5 continues on. It says, for we never came to you with words of flattery. As you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Now, he says this because traveling evangelists, traveling philosophers, traveling teachers were nothing new in this generation during this time in which it was written. In fact, people would come in and they would have new religions, new beliefs, and their gain or their motivation was to gain profit. They wanted money and they would pray on the weak and maybe the the mentally insecure, the people looking for hope. And he says, look, you know we didn't come for money. We didn't come for greed. Our motives were pure as we came to you. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. And this is important. He says, or he's establishing himself as an apostle of Christ. And as he's saying this, he says, look, we could have come to you and demanded the same thing that the priest did because we were bringing you the gospel message. We were birthed from Judaism, and you know how all of this comes to where those who are hearing the message are to support the messengers. It's the same thing through the pre-sacrificial system and the way that the temple was supported in all. Verse 7, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. Verse 9, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel of God. Verse 9 is talking about how in their life and in their lifestyle where they were in the city of Thessalonica, they weren't asking for money. They weren't asking for gifts. They were working day and night so they could pay their own way. They were bivocational, if you will, earning their own keep. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father is with his children, We exhorted each one of you, encouraged you, and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I I want you to to notice the nature of how chapter 2 starts off in the book of 1 Thessalonians. He relates himself as a mother who is nursing their child. This is the idea of nurturing and bringing food and just providing all things in a moment of care. And then he also refers to himself as a father who challenges his children. If you're missing this, he is their spiritual father and he is explaining to them, I cared for you. I loved you like a parent loves their own child. I gave of myself. I didn't just give you the gospel. I gave you my whole self. And he said, I want you to understand, I did this while I was on the run. And if anybody knew about persecution, it was the Apostle Paul. You see, Paul was Saul before he became Paul. Paul was the hunter of Christians. He was the one that the Jews had sent out to stamp out Christianity. He went around, and when Stephen was stoned, the first disciple, it was Saul who stood over the stoning and gave wholehearted applause to the stoning of this follower of Jesus. 
He was the one who on his way to Damascus was going with an intent to stamp out people of the way, people who knew Jesus and proclaimed Jesus, who worshiped Jesus because in his mind as a Jew, Jesus was a false God and a false representation and he wanted to correct them. But face to face with Jesus, he found himself in the road to Damascus. And his life was forever changed whenever Jesus spoke to him. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus said, who am I talking to? And Jesus referred to him and said, it is I, Jesus, who you are persecuting. Saul was once the hunter. But as he's writing the, this letter, and has, he was with the church at Thessalonica and in Philippi before this, the hunter had become the hunted. Saul had entered a place where when he was running after all the children of Jesus, after all the people of the way. He was like a lion taking out everybody, but the hunter became the hunted and he was surrounded, constantly persecuted. And he left Thessalonica in distress because people were coming for his life. And as he writes this, he does so with this spirit as we look back at, at our text. He says, for you yourselves know that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, you know we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel in the midst of much conflict. What he's saying here is that we came to you in courage and boldness as we were running for our life. And please don't miss this. You need to live your life with that same courage and boldness in which I came to you. See, the, the thing about Paul, and he wrote this in chapter 1, is you followed my example as I followed Christ. And chapter 2 is more of this challenge in that same vein of saying, as I imitate Christ, you imitate me. As you saw boldness and courage in the way that I live my life, you as followers of Jesus Christ need to live your life with boldness and courage. You need to be men and women of God who are not afraid to take that leap of faith. You need to be men and women of God who are not afraid to put yourself on the line. You need to be men and women who believe in the power of God and the power of Holy Spirit to convict of sin, to challenge people, and to live out a life that will defy the odds. You need to be men and women of faith. And he points back towards himself. He says, I want you to remember how I came to you. I want you to remember how I lived my life. And I want you to understand when I left you, I continued on in the gospel. Chapter 1, I heard great things of you. Chapter 2, I want to continue to hear great things for you. And you can tell in chapter 2 that he's answering some of his criticisms. Because when the founder of the church left, and he went to Macedonia, and he went to Corinth, people who maybe didn't like the message of Paul, or maybe people who wanted authority within the church started chirping and criticizing. Maybe Paul didn't lead the way that they wanted him to lead, and they started making these accusations about him. Maybe they were saying his motives were impure. Maybe he wants gain, even though Paul didn't ask for anything in return. And Paul reminds them, whenever I was with you, I worked day and night, I didn't ask you for anything. All I gave you was the gospel. He's saying, my motive was to share the message of Jesus Christ with you. I never asked for anything in return. 
And the challenge for us is that our motivation would be to share the message of Jesus Christ without getting anything in return as well. A great example of this is Fall Festival. Whenever you think about Fall Festival coming up, October 31st, right? We're going to have thousands of people on our campus. We're going to have these children that come in and they're going to be asking for candy or they're going to be expecting candy. And do you know what our church is good at? Giving away good candy, not, not Tootsie Rolls. Good candy, right? Not the bag of trash. We're talking about the good stuff like Snickers. Can I get an amen? Come on, y'all are Baptists. Y'all like to eat. Maybe some Twix. Reese's peanut butter cups. And as, see, now I'm making people hungry, and they're, they're like, I, I feel this pastor today. And we're going to give away this stuff, not expecting anything in return. We're going to give of ourselves and our finances, right? And our time as people are serving in the trunk or treat, as people are serving in security, as people are serving as greeters, as people are serving in games. And the reason we do that is not so that these people who come into our church, who come and walk through our church and we interact with can give us anything. We just want to be able to share the gospel with them. We don't want them to pay. We don't want donations. We don't want anything. We just want to share the message of Jesus Christ, that the righteous died for the unrighteous, that he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. The motivation of Fall Festival is to earn the right to share Jesus with those around us. And this is what needs to be our motivation in life. That maybe we serve our neighbors or maybe we provide a meal or maybe we help people in need just so we can give them the greatest gift that has ever been given, the person of Jesus Christ who takes away the sins of the world. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 continues on, and we not only have pure motives, we see the pure message, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you have become very dear to us. Do you know what a nursing mother gives her child? Everything. She gives everything of herself. She not only gives her milk, right, which is obviously the picture of a nursing mother. A nursing mother gives of her time. She gives of her sleep. If we're being honest, she gives of her sanity, her rest, her own well-being, her own care, her own desires. A nursing mother gives everything of herself to her child. Total sacrifice. A nursing mother puts herself at the bottom and puts that child at the top. You are my priority in life. I am nothing. That's why nursing mothers always eat cold food if they get to eat anything at all. That's why nursing mothers constantly have bags under their eyes. That's why nursing mothers do well to show up to church, and it doesn't matter what their hair looks like or if their clothes match at all. Because nursing mothers give fully of themselves. That is the pure message that our life matches our message. A nursing mother is a picture of this. 
And please, please catch this. The message that Paul was sharing completely matched the lifestyle that he was living. And as you think through this, we cannot separate our message from our lifestyle. He uses the picture of the most sacrificial type of person there is, a nursing mother. Nursing mother constantly giving of herself for her child. And Paul is saying, I gave you everything. I never separated who I was as a minister of the gospel from the way I live my life. And we cannot separate our message either. We always carry the name of Christ with us everywhere we go. I was thinking about this, this sermon and this, this thought that there's never a time Christians do not bear the name of Christ. And if you've ever had to prepare a message that you're going to share with other people, you know that you don't work on it for maybe an hour or two hours or a day or two. You work on it from the time you start until you deliver that message. And so Thursday night, I'm at a baseball game. I'm watching my son play, my son Clay. And Clay, did, he did pretty good. But there was this time on Thursday night where we can all agree he got completely cheated. Okay, there's no question about this. Y'all are going to want to go beat up this umpire whenever I tell this story. I just want you, but we're going to re refrain. We're going to restrain ourselves a little bit. So what had happened before Clay went up to bat, there was a, a kid who went up there and he had a couple balls and a strike on him. And he hit the ball and he got out and then it was Clay's turn. And so Clay went up to bat and there was a ball and he swung and he fouled it off, strike one. And then the pitcher came, and he threw it kind of over his head, ball one. So it's one ball, one strike. And then the next ball came, and Clay watched it go by. It was on the outside, didn't swing at it, strike two. But the ump looked at him and said, boom, you're out, strike three. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. That's three total pitches, and one of them was a ball. See, it takes three strikes, and you're out. Like, everybody knows this, right? How many of you are not baseball fans, but you know it's three strikes, and you're out? Let me see your hand. Well, I'm watching this, and so help me God, if I don't like anything, I like justice, and that was unjust. Are you feeling me? And as a dad, I'm sitting in the bleachers, and my inclination was to say, hey, dummy, that's only two strikes. Like, I was ready to climb the fence because my kid got cheated, and although I spoke out the first, he didn't hear me. And like I'm in this battle in this moment to where I want this ump to understand how dumb he is. But also I'm a Christian and I'm also the pastor at First Baptist Rowlett. And so in that moment, I got to make a decision. Am I going to be worthy of the calling I have in Christ? Am I going to be worthy of the name? Am I going to be worthy of the name pastor? Or am I going to let this ump have what he deserves? My wrath. You see, when we hear this term like a nursing mother, we see care and we see nurture and we see sacrifice. But there's never a time a mom's not a mom. 
And please catch this. There's never a time that a Christian is not a Christian. There's never a time that we, as followers of Jesus, don't bear the name of Christ. And Paul is saying, in my life, in my lifestyle, not only did I give you Christ, but I gave you my whole self, always. But he's, he's also giving us this other picture that our message is to be shared with gentleness and with love. You don't treat a newborn child the same way you treat a teenager, right? You don't treat a newborn child in the same way you treat a five or six-year-old. And there are people in our world who desperately need Jesus. Can I get an amen on this? I mean, you can turn on the news. You can walk through the stores. You can look on Facebook. You would have been in downtown Dallas yesterday. You, 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 would, you would have seen that people need Jesus. But, but we've got to understand that our message is to always be shared with gentleness and love with a lost world that needs to hear Jesus. In times past, people have thought that it is their job to get a bullhorn, stand on the corner and tell everybody that they're about to die and go to hell. And that message is real, but that message is not usually helpful. When we're talking about being ambassadors and representatives of Jesus Christ, when we're talking about sharing the gospel message with those that God has placed in our lives, we need to do so with gentleness and love. A conversation about Jesus and what he has done in our life is so much better than a confrontation about Jesus and what he needs to do in other people's lives. And Paul is saying, the way I lived my life, the way I interacted with you was pure. My message was always pure. It was always about Jesus in the same way a nursing mother would take care of her child. I took care of you with gentleness and love. And we need to live that out. But 9 through 12 shows us even more about his ministry. Verse 9 says, For, we rem for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. Labor and toil is not just work. It's hard work. It's that frustration. We grinded for you, right? You remember our labor and toil, how we never gave up or stopped. Like we just worked and gave you everything all the time. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. We walked the walk as we talked the talk. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He's saying we live holy for you. We were set apart in our conduct and our actions, our speech. The way that we interacted with others, we were righteous. We did the right thing. We didn't take advantage of anyone. And we lived a life to where as you pointed towards them, it was just blameless. Can I tell you what the world needs today? They need people who profess the name of Jesus Christ to live like Jesus Christ told them to live. People whose lifestyle matches their conduct. And I was sitting here thinking, and some of you are going to be like, how come Cole didn't pick me for this? Some of you are going to look at this and you're going to be like, I don't know why Cole didn't pick me for this. But I was thinking like, who's a couple that lives holy 
righteous and blameless. Not perfect. Trust me, they are not perfect. But I see people who are getting it right in our church. And I, I, before, before I show you who, who came to my mind, I want you to think, who are people who get it right in our church? Who are people you know in your connect group that you share life with, who when life gets hard and they have to labor and toil in life, they continue to honor God? Maybe, maybe you just write their name down on the side of your notes. Who when they're frustrated, they don't act in their flesh, but they act in the spirit of God. Who, who when, when, when things don't go their way, they live it. Who, when things are going their way, they give God glory and praise and credit. Just write their name down because after this sermon, what I want you to, to do is I want you to write them a note and I want you to say just thank you for your example. Thank you for living out your faith in a way that glorifies and honors God. Thank you for being an example and a challenge to me. Everybody have your person? I was thinking about this and I thought of Lord and Mary Charles. They recently celebrated 56 years of marriage. Do you know how hard it is to be married to somebody else for 56 years? Marriage is not always easy. Can I get an amen on that? You know, like Ruth, Ruth Graham said, you know, there's never been a time where I've wanted to kill Billy or divorce Billy, but there's been plenty of times I wanted to kill him. Do you remember when she said that? Yeah, Billy Graham, that's who I'm talking about. Some of you are like, no, she wouldn't. Oh, yeah. Husband traveling all the time. Can you imagine? She had to raise those kids by herself. Come on, y'all know she wanted to shoot him a time or two. But I'm talking about people worthy of respect who, who their life and their lifestyle matches the Jesus that they proclaim. We need to live lives that are pure, righteous, and blameless. Not perfect. We're the perfect place for imperfect people to connect with God and others. But our life has to match our message. And this is what Paul is saying, just look back at my life. But it's not one that's accommodating to where people are either, because Paul refers to him not himself not just as a nursing mother, but he also refers to himself as a father. Fathers are more challenging than the nurturing mothers. Can I get an amen? Like in my house, my role with my children is quite different. My children will attest to this. Our ministry is to be comforting, but challenging, with great concern. Do you know what causes my mood shifts more than anything else in my life? It's when my children suffer. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And there's nothing you can do about it. I'll watch my kids go through hardships and trials when they're treated unfair. I'm not just talking about with a dumb up at a baseball game. I'm talking about when life hits and life hits all of us. I don't like it when my kids get down on themselves, when they fail to see who they really are, or when they're, they're treated unfairly. And there are times to where I, I comfort my children and I give them a hug. But there are also times when I get in their face and I remind them who they are, their, their greatness, their ability, that they're children of the king, that God has redeemed them. God has given them a purpose and a platform to be great, not for themselves, but to be great for his namesake. That's what a dad does with great concern for their children. And this is what Paul did for people in the church that he started at Thessalonica. There are times where he gave them a hug, and there were times that he looked at them and said, remember who 
you are. So how, how, do, how, do, how do we have a pure ministry? How do we live pure? Well, it starts with the same motivation that Paul had. Live to please God, not man. Live for the applause of God, not man. If you're worried about what man says about you, you will twist your message. Instead of proclaiming the truth in love and God's word, you will tell people what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. Live to please God, not man. Number two, understand the process of maturation. Understand that growing and maturing in your faith, understand as a spiritual parent, to those who you are discipling and bringing along the way, maybe those in your go group, your discipleship group, those in your connect group, may not be where they need to be, but God is going to move them into further Christ-likeness. It is a process for you and for them. Amen? Reach out to others with comfort and concern. Have that time to where you reach out to lost people like a nursing mother would take care of their children. Have those times when you reach out to people like a father who would challenge their children. Reach out to others with comfort and concern. And if you truly want to be pure, if you want to be effective, if you want to live a life where your talk and your walk have this synergy about them, Embrace a godly lifestyle at all times. When people are around and when you're by yourself, embrace a godly lifestyle. Live in such a way when people see the way you live and you act and you interact that they say, whatever it is about them, I want that in my life as well. In other words, get to a point to where you say, I will be sure to live pure. 